Okay. Well, First Peter has um, one. Peter has been a little bit of a little bit of a challenge. This is uh, not the easiest study that I've that I've ever done. I've I've been uh, encouraged as as I've had to just press in and think about some things that I haven't thought about in a while, or uh, really to try to be uh, understanding that the the letter, this letter in particular, in its context, what Peter's trying to accomplish and uh, what we're seeing throughout the rest of the New Testament. He's been writing about living in the midst of suffering and persecution. He, that's where we started uh, last time I was with you in chapter one. That's what we were talking about, living in suffering and persecution. And then in chapter two, he starts to uh, apply this really to relationships. What's this look like and how do we practically uh, live these kinds of things out? He, he talks about uh, the fact that the readers, his initial audience were foreigners and they were living as exiles. And as foreigners, they should be respectful of the king and they should be respectful of the authorities that were around them. From there, he talks about slaves and how slaves should live under their masters. He goes into chapter three and talks about how wives and husbands should live uh, in, in harmony and uh, in submission to uh, each other, how the, the wife should be living under the husband and how the husband should be um, should be treating their uh, wife in a way that is honoring to the Lord so that their own spiritual progress is not uh, hindered. And we see in all of these places that uh, the leaders don't have the, don't have the freedom to just treat people however they want. They have direction to follow as well. And so then the section I think that Sam ended with last week talks about how believers really should be living together. We are sympathizing people. We are humble. We're tenderhearted. Uh, even though these believers were living in a challenging time, uh, in days of real suffering, the, uh, the instruction for the believer is we don't take suffering and difficulty that is being laid on us and then pass that on to other people. Instead, uh, while, while we feel like we're being crushed, we're supposed to be loving and we're supposed to be humble and we're supposed to be kind. And so there's, uh, there's a real challenge for the believer in thinking through some of these things, what's, the, what's our responsibility and how we respond to uh, persecution, how we respond to uh, difficulty, uh, especially when it comes from people who are in authority over us. So in our text today, starting in verse 13, this is uh, 1 Peter 3, 13, uh, and it's quite a long passage. We're going to break it up into a few sections, but uh, Peter gets back to this main theme that he has about suffering and about persecution. And so I want us to see three uh, main ideas that we're going to be uh, thinking through as we go uh, as we go through the next few minutes. We respond to persecution with love and humility. We respond to persecution with love and humility in the first section. We, re we recognize persecution really is the norm for us as believers. And then we serve in the power that God supplies. Those, those are kind of the, the three main things that I want us to look through. The first one, we respond to persecution with love and humility. Uh, we're going to take from um, this first section in uh, 1 Peter 3, 13 through uh, 22 through the end of the chapter. So let's, let's read that together. Now, who is there to harm you if you, are, if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you 
uh, for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formally did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. And not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and it is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Let's pray, okay? Lord, as we uh, look at what is a difficult past, uh, a difficult passage, not just because of uh, some of the challenge of, of the, the way Peter says things, but Lord, how what, what he says as well. And so we just, we ask that you would help us to arrive at truth. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me, Lord, to decrease, that you might increase in this time. I pray that you might, uh, Father, that you might be honored. And we pray that your a spirit would keep me from any error. Lord, would you show us how we can apply these things to our lives and that, uh, Lord, that you might be honored because of the way that we study your word. And we pray that you would bless our time together now in Jesus' name, amen. So we respond to persecution with love and humility. And I believe the first part of this, even the, the, the maybe the easier part for us to uh, really read and think through and apply, I believe that when we trust God to vindicate us, we are honoring to him. He says, who's gonna, who's gonna harm you if you're zealous to do good? And then he goes right on and says, some people are going to harm you, even if you are zealous for doing good. But in verse 15, one of the best verses, I think, in this passage, but in your hearts, honor Christ as holy. Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. And so when we, uh, when we are in a position where we are looking at uh, suffering or persecution or difficulty, and we will face those things as believers, we uh, will sometimes receive bad when we should be receiving good. We remind ourselves that uh, the goal for us is to be like Christ. The goal is for us not to be like the world. When we suffer for following Jesus, well, we have an opportunity then to give the reason, give reasons for the hope that we have. Church history is literally filled with people who have who could have made their lives different if they would only deny Jesus, but people didn't do that. They stayed faithful. They believed that God would take care of things. They put their trust in him and he uh, was glorified. And that the same can be true of us as well. We can trust the Lord to take care of us. And when we trust God to vindicate, vindicate us, we will honor him. The second part is this. When we trust God's plan, we are imitating Christ. This is, again, where we're following Jesus and not the world. It is, it's just true. Sometimes we're treated poorly, right? Sometimes we endure that treatment with the hope that God's going to use that to uh, bring about some conviction maybe on another person's 
apart. And when we follow Jesus, we have to recognize that we are following a crucified Savior. That's how they treated him. And sometimes that is how they will be treating us as well. Jesus did push back against evil in his own day, but he was always fighting for God's glory. He was not fighting for his own glory. Jesus was sinless and he suffered so that the sinful people could be brought safely home to God. That includes you and me, but it also includes people maybe who are persecuting us even now. Uh, not everybody, of course, that Jesus interacted with treated him poorly, but that was a pretty consistent theme in his life. People talked poorly about him. They lied about him. They mistreated him, right? He was arrested and he was beaten and he was crucified. All of these things happened because, uh, because people were coming against Jesus in the way that he was doing things. But Jesus being committed to the plan of God is what uh, made it possible for you and I to be saved. And in the same way, sometimes when we suffer and we endure persecution, God will use our willingness to stand firm as a testimony that convicts people. You, you can read lots of biographies about this. As Christians live in persecution, the way that they endure will oftentimes be the very thing that God uses to open someone's heart to the gospel. The third thing in this section is this. When we trust God to cleanse, we highlight the need for obedience. This section, really, in uh, verses 19 to 22, I think it's, it, it contains two of the most challenging uh, ideas, certainly in this whole passage and really in the uh, entire letter. When Sam reached out to me and said, could you, could you share this weekend? I said, sure. And then I opened up and I said, oh, this is, this is, a, tough, this is a tough text. And he said, you give tough, tough texts to me lots of times. And so uh, I said, it'd be a great time for us to be uh, able to sit and think and, and, uh, and, and study and apply the kind of things that we know to be true and, and ask ourselves, why do we think that they're true? One of the things that I did when I was first reading the scripture, first reading this passage to, uh, to prepare for this message, is that I come to verse um, 20, 21. Baptism, which corresponds to, to, this, to this picture of the ark, but basically saying baptism now saves you. And when I come to that phrase, I think, well, I know baptism doesn't save us. Baptism does not save us. But that made me stop and think I've arrived at a text and I'm telling the text what it means rather than me taking time, reading the word, thinking about what it's saying and allowing the text to, uh, the text to tell me what I should be thinking. And oftentimes in uh, our faith, we get that backwards. We've already, we've already decided. We've arrived at a conclusion. We read something. We don't like it. And so we impose our understanding on the scripture rather than letting the scripture shake our, shape our understanding. This is how we fall into lots of traps and we love our tradition sometimes more than we love God's word. So rather than just ignore the verse, I started to ask myself, why do I believe? that baptism does not save me. And so that, that was the place that I started studying. It, is Peter saying that baptism saves you? Is that really what he means? Uh, does he mean something else? And it was just, it was really fruitful for me. One of the uh, encouraging things I did get to read, uh, there was a, a commentary by a guy named Scott uh, McKnight, a writer who was just um, writing a, uh, in the NIV commentary. Was I found it really helpful and encouraging and really reinforcing for what uh, I was seeing because he says the important thing to remember about this, not just this passage, but the whole letter that Peter's writing here, it's not about salvation. Certainly this portion is not about salvation. This portion is about living in the midst of suffering. When we suffer 
even if we're doing good stuff, we suffer in such a way so that uh, people say, why do you have this hope? And we tell them about the hope that we have. And then we see we're following in the footsteps of Christ. That's what the whole passage is about. It's not a, it's not a passage that is about salvation, really, uh, at all. So Peter's not teaching these believers how they should be saved. We have to pay attention to what Peter is saying in the context of his own letter. And then we also have to read the whole the whole of scripture and see what the context of Peter is in the whole Bible. And I think that it's clear because we see lots of different places that baptism is a symbol. It's an act of obedience that shows other people this commitment that we have made. I think the Bible always points to salvation being by faith in Christ and that baptism happens as a sign of obedience after we've had our faith in Christ. I think that's what the scripture teaches. And so uh, I think that Peter's not talking about how to be saved here. I think that the overall arc, that's the reason why uh, I don't think that that's what he means. The other challenging phrase that we see in this passage or in this, uh, these few verses is about Christ preaching to the spirits in prison. And through different years, people have taken this particular verse and uh, a place in Ephesians chapter four, and they teach that Jesus went to hell. Jesus died on the cross. He went to hell while he was dead. And there he preached to the people who were in hell so that they might be able to come out of prison. And lots of intelligent people uh, uh, accept this. Uh, I don't personally believe it. I don't believe it at all. It's in the Apostles' Creed that you hear uh, lots of places. And when I'm in a church that recites the Apostles' Creed and they use a version that includes he descended into hell, I don't say it because I don't think that it's true. I don't say it because I don't believe it. And I'm, I'm trying to, to stay on, on the, the topic, trying to stay with what Peter is saying. I don't want to just uh, chase too many rabbits, but I think, again, Peter here is saying Here's how we live in the midst of persecution. This is not about, uh, this is not really about salvation. So that's the context in Peter. Secondly, I would think if we look at what Jesus says to the thief on the cross, he says, today I will be with you in paradise. So I don't think Jesus went to hell for two or three days. I think he went to heaven. I think he was with the thief and he was right there in the presence of the father. I just don't think that he spent those days uh, in hell. And I think, especially when I think about this context in Malaysia, because a number of my friends over the years in Malaysia would say, why didn't anyone come and explain the gospel to my grandparents or to my uh, grand-grandparents, right? They would typically say, what about my great-grandparents? Why did no one bring us the gospel? And I think about the injustice that it would be to say, from the creation of time to the cross, those, those, if those people had no chance well, Christ went to hell to preach to them, to give them the opportunity. Well, why not give opportunity to everyone? It just, to me, it doesn't make any sense. I, I find this, the whole uh, uh, concept, it just doesn't, to me, it doesn't make any sense. Why would God give some people an opportunity to be saved if he's not going to give uh, other people that same opportunity? Why does he give some people access to the gospel, but not everyone access to the gospel? I just think that's a challenging kind of thing for us to be thinking through. So, this text, I don't think, is about Jesus going into hell and preaching salvation to those people who died before he lived. So just briefly, what does it mean? I, I think the passage is talking about the way that Noah is treated, right? He says um, Christ suffered once for sins in verse 18 and 19. It talks about him going to prison. 
because in verse 20, they did not formally, they formally did not obey. Like when God's patience was um, waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. And then uh, it says that these people were brought safely through water and that baptism now saves you and goes through these different things. I think that Noah was persecuted for his trust in God. I think God came to Noah. He spoke. He said, I want you to build a boat. I think you want to, I want you to build it exactly like this. And Noah was uh, obedient to the word that he was given and people treated him uh, horribly because of that. That happened right up until the time that they went into the ark and the door was closed. And I think that's the same kind of picture that we're having here. Noah trusted God and his trusting God resulted in persecution. Going into the ark was an act of obedience that proved their faith. They believed that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And for us, I think submitting to baptism is a similar sort of thing. But God, we don't think baptism saves us. We think that uh, we submit ourselves to Christ. And because of that, then we uh, experience baptism. The washing away of the dirt doesn't save us. Is that we're saying, God, we need your help. And we trust Jesus to take care of our sin. And we're baptized as a symbol of that. that that's, that's at least where, where, I, where I believe that the, the text is leading us. And so we, uh, we, see, we see in that place, uh, in those first sections, we respond to persecution with love and humility. Faith in Jesus was saved you. Uh, we trust in what he did. And then we move on. We get into chapter four. We recognize that persecution is a kind of normal for us as believers. Let's look in uh, verse one of chapter four, where he says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves, uh, in the, arm yourselves with, with the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the, I need my glasses. So as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way that God does. Uh, so we, we recognize that persecution really is the norm. Christ suffered in this way, so arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, he says in verse 1. He tells them that they should be ready to suffer, and he, but he also says, remember, we used to be just like them, right? Our behavior before Christ was just as ungodly as the behavior that we see in other people now, now we, you might say, well, uh, I haven't murdered anyone, and some people have murdered people, and I'm not talking about the particulars. Have other people done things that worse than the things that you've done? Certainly, they've done things that are worse than the things that you have done, but the point is they were acting in unbelief. They are acting in unbelief. We were acting in unbelief. There really was no difference in how we used to be and how they are now. Our Life was ungodly when we were acting in unbelief. We used to be just like them. We're following instead now a, a, cross, a Christ who was crucified on the cross. And so our responsibility as believers is that we take up our cross, 
and we follow him. And we should expect that we're going to be treated in a way that is consistent with the way that they treated our master. We don't like that, but it's just the truth. They treated Christ poorly, and oftentimes we will be treated poorly as well. The second thing that we see is this. The people in your life lots of times do not like the fact that you have gone through a spiritual change. Your old friends and your old family, they may not like this change at all. They uh, attack us potentially. They try to tear us down in many ways. I don't think that is even all of that. That's really not that personal. It's an attack that, that is based in how they feel and not so much an attack that's based on what you are becoming. When you do things that they don't like, that there's conviction that comes on them, right? Oh, uh, we used to hear this from our friends sometimes. Oh you, oh, you think you're better than us now? No, I don't think that I'm, I don't, I didn't think I was better than you before. I don't think that I'm better than you now. I don't think that I'm better than you. And so uh, I'm, I'm not trying to create some division, but people will oftentimes create that kind of division. They don't like the way that you behave. It, it, it makes them feel uh, odd. We were uh, at a work meeting recently and so as we're at this work meeting, uh, it's kind of a convention, and people are just uh, foul. This Their language is the way that they talked and all these different kinds of things. And then when we would start to talk about uh, kind of our life and the church and the things that we had done in the past, they would you could see they just start to calculate in their mind, oh, what have I been talking about? And they would say, oh, then they would apologize. I, I apologize for, I, I said some things I, I shouldn't have said. I don't say them or don't say them, right? Those are, these are not based on, it's not good or bad based on how I feel about it or what I do with my own time. This is good or bad based on whether or not you're responding to the Lord. And so sometimes people are, are going to separate from you because of the way they feel. And sometimes they're going to react uh, harshly. Or they're going to be uh, difficult to you because of that, but you don't have to be uh, in a position where you are uh, constantly fighting to defend yourself. Because he says in verse five and six, they will give an account to the one who's ready to judge the living and the dead. This is why the gospel is preached in the past, because the people need to hear about Christ. And when they come against us and we live in persecution, we need to remember that God will handle those people who are coming against us. We don't need to spend our time trying to convince people that they're doing wrong. We can share with them. The uh, life that we live, the life that we lead, right? And sometimes the way that we live will cause people to say, why do you live differently than me? That's that's First Peter 3, 15. Why do you live different than me? What's, why, what's the difference here? And sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll just be harsh and they'll get, they'll continue to be harsh. And sometimes they'll continue right up until the time that it takes a believer's life. We hear stories all over the place, out of China, out of India, out of Malaysia, out of Indonesia, out of Thailand, out of um, Myanmar, out of all of these countries that surround us where, but where believers lose their lives because of the thing that they believe. And we don't have to protect ourselves. We have to trust that God will take care of those things. So when I say that persecution is the norm, I'm not saying that it's the right thing. It's not right at all. And I don't mean that it's going to be experienced by everyone. I'm not trying to excuse it, any of those kinds of things. I'm just saying we live in a fallen world. Peter and his readers lived in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. And the evil one will seek to distract us and to discourage us from following Jesus. You shouldn't seek out persecution. You shouldn't be uh, living in such a way, right? Sometimes you're 
sometimes I see this. Believers are in a spot and they say, I'm being persecuted. People are treating me badly because of my faith. When in reality, people are being treated badly because they're acting like jerks. We don't have freedom to act like jerks and then feel like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, I'm being persecuted because people are treating me this way. No, you're just being a jerk. And people are responding to the fact that you are not nice. We're going to instead be humble, gentle-hearted, kind, loving people. And then if, if, we, if we experience difficulty because of that, then God will take care of those things. God will handle all of that. Then these last few verses. In uh, 1 Peter 4, this is going to be 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Uh, Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God might be glorified through Christ Jesus. To him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. And so we serve in the power that God supplies. And I think we do that in a few ways. We we're proactive mentally. That's what he's talking about. And he says this um, in chapter one, he says in chapter four, he says it, I think again, in chapter five, that we are to be sober minded people. He uses this a few times around, be focused and be alert, pay attention to what's going on. Watch yourself so that you do not get dragged back into your old ways. Watch yourself that you do not get dragged into uh, discouragement. Watch yourself that you do not fall back into those things that he was talking about back in verse three and verse four, like this drunkenness and this, just this wild living that uh, we might physically want to give ourselves to. Uh, and how do we do, how do we do that? How do we protect ourselves mentally? We just do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask God to be guiding us. We, we stay in the word, we pray, and we're, we're asking the Lord to be in control of our mind. And so be proactive mentally. The second thing is to be proactive relationally, right? And he gives a list of things there that we love one another. It's so hard to focus on being mad at people when you're focused on loving them. And so just spend time together, right? As, as, as the opportunity allows, as you're, uh, have the chance to get vaccinated, you're able to get out. Maybe you're watching this online from somewhere else or down the road when the pandemic's, uh, sort of a distant memory for all of us in, in a few years. Open your hearts and open up your homes, eat together, listen to people, encourage one another, persevere and endure, bear one another's burdens. That's the thing about Shabazz and Nasreen and their family these last few years. Did they say things that I disagreed with? Yeah, sometimes they did say things that I disagreed with, but but did I love them and want to see them do well? Of course. And so we would bear their burdens and we would, we would put up with people in places where they uh, were frustrating. And I just assume that sometime I'm frustrating to other people and I'm hopeful that they'll be uh, bearing with me and encouraging me and giving me the benefit of the doubt and loving me relationally. They'll just be connected to me relationally, even when they find me frustrating or difficult to deal with. I just, we're all people. And so we're, we have those tendencies sometimes. So be loving, be uh, open, and, and uh, just be connected that way. 
Then the last thing is this. Be proactive in your service. Serve in the energy that the Lord provides. When you have an opportunity to serve, then take it. Know how God has gifted you spiritually, and then look for an opportunity to share those things with the people in the church and with the people in your community, the people in the world that are around you. Here are a couple quick things we can do. We're trying to apply these uh, ideas, and I think that they're important ideas and things that we, we should give ourselves to. So I would say, here's one thing. Don't buy into the narrative that the worldly success is a sign of God's blessing, right? Um, Peter's writing to these believers who are living in the midst of persecution. He calls them exiles, and he calls them uh, foreigners. And he says, listen, you're just going to have to live in that situation in a way that's honoring to God. And so sometimes we will look on the outside. And if a person has a lot of money, they have some sort of worldly success. They, uh, they, things always seem to go well for them. Then we feel like, oh, God's blessing is on, the, on that person. I just don't think that, that we can make those kinds of assumptions. So don't, don't buy that idea. Jesus was completely obedient and he suffered incredibly, right? Sometimes God's people are blessed with finances. We see people like that. Uh, Abram, uh, Abraham was blessed in a financial way. Uh, David was blessed financially. Lots of people uh, were walking alongside Jesus and paying the bills and taking care of things and buying things. And there were people that owned homes throughout the New Testament that would host the church. And Barnabas had land and he would sell it. All kinds of people have been blessed financially. So it's, and we're not saying that sometimes people aren't blessed financially. Some, sometimes they are, but don't try to just equate those things. Financial blessings and success in this world do not mean that a person is being uh, obedient to the Lord. Second thing, uh, find opportunities that fit your spiritual gifts. That We really need you. IBCBI needs you. Uh, wherever your church home is, if you're watching online, the church needs you. Your community needs you. Figure out how you're gifted and serve. The body needs you. The third thing, people, and I believe this with all my heart, people do not hear the gospel after they die. People do not have another opportunity to be saved after they die. The Bible never teaches this uh, idea that people, once they go into hell, that they have the opportunity to come out. There's even a parable that Jesus tells once. Sorry about that. Even a parable that Jesus tells once where the rich man is there and he said, it says he's in hell and he's in torment. And he's saying, please, would you just come and just dip your finger in water and touch it to my tongue? And in that, in that parable, uh, Abraham says, we can't, we can't come there. We can't come there and you can't come here. And so that's just a picture. We, we see this kind of thing over and over. And so the, the application for that idea that uh, people don't hear the gospel after they die is that if your friends if your family members, if your co-workers, if your countrymen are going to hear the gospel, they have to hear it while they are alive. And they need to hear it in a way that they can hear and understand and believe. Sometimes we're sharing in the wrong language. Sometimes we share with the wrong attitude. Sometimes we share in the wrong way and people can't. They either don't hear it, right, because we're the wrong person, maybe we're a female that's speaking to a male or a young person speaking to an older person, or we're an untrained person speaking to a trained person, whatever reason, we're an employee speaking to the boss, and they would say, oh, I don't, I don't hear from people like you. Okay, they won't hear from you. They have to hear in a way they can hear 
And then we need to really communicate it in a way that makes sense so they can understand it in order for them to believe it. And then the last thing is this. Christ died for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, and he is still bringing people today. That was true when Peter wrote it 2,000 years ago. It's still true today. God is still saving people. And so if you have not personally believed, then today is a day that you can personally believe. If you're watching this live, you can believe it right now. If you're watching it uh, recorded later on, then you can, uh, you can believe it. So if you've never personally believed in Christ, that he came to bear the sins of the unrighteous so that they may be right, made right with God, he can give you a hope that allows you even to endure persecution unto death. And then people could then be convicted by and drawn by that kind of testimony. If you haven't believed it, then please believe it right now. Believe it today. And if you have believed it, then I would say share that. Share that story with people that are around you. Let's pray. Father, I do love your people and the opportunity to be together. Lord, it, I just, uh, I'm amazed, Lord, as, as much education, as much opportunity, as much, um, as much of everything that we seem to have in uh, our modern world, we can still approach a letter that was written 2,000 years ago and find it difficult to, to really mine out all of the meaning and of ways that we should obey and things that we should do. And we thank you that. Uh, Lord, we, we can serve you for years and decades and still we'll find passages challenging. They still require us to really engage with our heart and our mind and to think about what was written. So we thank you that your word is like that, that we're constantly able to learn from it. We pray that you would help us Lord, to live lives that are worthy of the calling that we've received. Would you live in us in such a way that people are drawn uh, Lord, we just we all know that there are people who are holy that drive people away from Christ, and we don't want to be like that. And so help us to be holy living people who draw people to Christ. And we pray that you would just bless and be with us as we go through this week. We pray, God, for uh, the Golzar family as they settle. We pray for Louisa as she goes, and Lord, for others who are just dealing with uh, economic uncertainty, with health issues, with family members that they're separated from, with uh, just things about our jobs that we're just not certain about. All these things, Lord, we, we know that you love us and that you care for us, and so we commit these things to you. We ask that, uh, Lord, you would increase our faith day by day, that we might uh, really trust you and that we could just walk, Lord, constantly seeing your provision. And we pray you bless uh, us through this uh, rest, of, rest of this day and this weekend, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.